Yes, so turn with me to Psalms, uh, chapter 51, our first reading. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I have been a sinner from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Uh, the next one is in Matthew chapter 5, also verses 1 to 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Good evening, everyone. It's lovely to be here. A young boy in church one Sunday morning saw the preacher take off his watch and just before the sermon he placed it on the lectern and he turned to his mother and said, what does that mean? And she said, absolutely nothing. (laughs) And I read somewhere that a good sermon is governed by three things. One, a catchy beginning. Two, a powerful ending. And thirdly, the one and two should be very close together. But not so with Jesus. Tonight we're going to study the beginning of a lengthy and most important sermon that was ever delivered. And if you want to look it up, the Sermon on the Mount, which is the Beatitudes, is the beginning of, goes for three or four chapters in Matthew. And it is also recorded in Luke. And the consequences for not listening to or understanding this sermon were life-threatening back then just as they are life-threatening today, eternal life-threatening. 
So before we get into it, let's pray and ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, implant these truths and teach us to see that this is the person you need us to be. Help us live out in our lives every day the words of your Son and follow his way. Amen. So we begin Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And his disciples come to him and he begins to teach them. Not just the 12 that were chosen, but probably a lot more people standing and listening around. But I was thinking this afternoon, what was Jesus trying to do? And if you, it may be helpful, I don't know whether you have seen how a diamond is cut, but the raw diamond comes out of the ground. This is what Jesus had to deal with. He's got three or four rough fishermen who probably swear a bit. Um, He's got a couple of Jewish hotheads in his group. He's got a tax collector. You know, these guys haven't really mixed with each other. And Jesus has got to mould them because Jesus knows he only has three years and that his teaching is going to be carried on by his chosen few. And to be helpful, when you see a diamond being cut and the faces being cut on a diamond or the facets, this is what the Beatitudes is, that Jesus is going to fashion the lives of these rough people into a diamond so that when God's light shines on them through each of those faces, people will see God and the beauty of God will be seen in what Jesus has transformed these lives into. And Jesus doesn't describe eight different types of people who are blessed in these 12 verses, but the one person. Each verse is a step that a person, you and me, need to take in order to be a candidate for the kingdom of heaven. These are the pages in your passport that need to be endorsed by God so that you can travel with him and to him. And Jesus didn't say them in random order either. They are steps that need to be taken one after the other, just like a child learning to walk. And Jesus uttered them for instruction to his disciples but it wasn't the first time they had been spoken about in the group. But Jesus now places them in order so that his followers, Peter, James, John, you and me, can find our way, Jesus' way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this is how to find the way in the Beatitudes. These eight steps are the truth about how to enter the kingdom of heaven. And these are the eight steps that God needs to see in an individual so that his son, Jesus, can offer us a passport to life, an everlasting life, a glorious life with him. So let's look at each of the steps. Step one, humility. Verse three says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We read in Proverbs twenty nine twenty three, A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honour. And in Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, it says, For this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. God speaking. I live in a high and holy place, 
but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And Jesus says in Matthew, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You may remember there was a murderous, proud man named Saul who described himself as a Pharisee's Pharisee or the best of the best in his profession. And he was struck low on his road to Damascus. He was humiliated in front of his party of underlings. He was made blind. He needed help to walk. He was given a new name, Paul. No food or water for three days. And then, to rub it all in, he was then attended to by one of the very persons he was bent on destroying. Massive pride brought down to a lowly spirit, humility. And only then could God use Paul in his great missionary journeys into the Gentile nations. And we read Paul's own words in his letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul's pride is now obviously gone. Humility and recognition of the truth in his life. So it begs the question, have you recognised the truth in your life? Do you and I walk humbly with the Lord? The second step is penitence. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 7.10, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus is not talking about mourning for a pet or even a close relative or friend. It's mourning for a recognition of how wretched we are before God. You may remember Jonah, that miserable prophet in the Old Testament who wanted to go the opposite way when God asked him to deliver a message to Nineveh about their imminent destruction. And it happened a few times that when God finally convinced Jonah to deliver the message, the king of Nineveh mourned. This is how the king reacted in complete contrast to Jonah. And if you remember the story, Jonah sat on the side of the hill waiting for the destruction of Nineveh and got angry with God when it didn't happen. But in Jonah 3 verse 6 we take up the story. When the news that Jonah delivered reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The dramatic change of a proud tax collector is recorded for us to read in Luke 18, verse 13. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. That's humility. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's penitence. Whether it's a tax collector or the king of Nineveh. Have you and I humbly stood before God and mourned for our sinfulness? God offers repentance and healing and comfort. Third step is meekness. It might have been a bit hard for a few rough fishermen to hear this as Jesus was speaking to them. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But meek does not mean weak. That's what the current world wants you to believe. Do you want a pattern of meekness to follow? You can't go past Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 7, it's the prophecy about Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 1 Peter 2 23, when they hurled their insults at him, he, Jesus, did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to, the, to him who judges justly, his father. Jesus said to Peter and others at the time of his arrest, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of those hothead Jews in his group were looking for a conquering saviour, a messiah, Jesus with a sword. But Jesus says, no, I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Turn the other cheek, love your enemies, speak kindly to that annoying person you can't stand, walk away from a confrontation. No one said it's going to be easy. Jesus said, it's going to be difficult. That's why he said, take my yoke. But if you do these acts of kindness, he promises you peace and rest. Be meek, the true trait of a humble and penitent person. Because without Jesus' love and forgiveness, you and I can be that far away from being an aggressor, someone who becomes a hothead with a sword, whether it's a tongue or a bit of metal. Fourth step is spiritual appetite. Verse 6 in Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When's the last time you were really, really hungry or really, really thirsty? came to me years ago when my wife Glenda and I um, met a young badly burned Kenyan boy. He came to our house. His name was Safari. And he said to us that back in his village in Kenya, he was so hungry and thirsty that he filled his stomach with dirt just to stop the ache. Jesus is not talking here about filling the void with dirt or the shallow things of this earth or even sumptuous dinners or the ultimate coffee experience. He is talking about an unquenchable and, un, 
and a hunger for and thirst for spiritual knowledge, knowledge of who God is and what he desires for us, the humble, penitent and gentle follower of Jesus, the first three steps. You might remember the story that was told about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman in the heat of the day. She was at the well because no one else would be with her. They all went out in the morning. And Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, a five times married Samaritan woman, who came to draw water at the well, I will give you living water so that you will never thirst again. And Jesus was actually saying to her, you are looking in the wrong place for the ideal relationship because the perfect relationship is wanting to know God and his ways. He knows your ways and he knows my ways. Jesus told the Samaritan woman everything she'd ever done in her search for the perfect relationship. And if you and I don't desire to know God and his ways, we are spiritually starving and thirsting. We need to pray urgently like the king of Nineveh and then open God's word, the Bible, and he will show you and me how to gain a spiritual appetite and not to ache from the shallowness and short-term satisfaction of this world, which in the long run is just dirt. Step five is mercifulness. Look with me in Matthew 5, verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Proverbs eleven seventeen says, A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. Micah 6, verse 8 in the Old Testament says, He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Remember the story Jesus told about the servant who owed a great debt to his master. After much pleading because the master had threatened to throw him and his wife and their children into jail, the master took pity on him, and as an act of mercy, he cancelled the debt. And relieved, the servant immediately left and found a fellow servant who owed him a small amount and grabbed him by the throat and started to choke him. We pick up the rest of the parable in Matthew 18, 29. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. You never understand that, how you can pay a debt when you're in prison. But anyway, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he has owed. And Jesus finishes the story by saying, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother. And these are the words from the heart. Do you hold a grudge with someone? Is there an unfinished argument? A sharp lash of your tongue in the heat of the moment? A long and lasting separation from a close friend or a family member? 
If this involves you or you've been hurt by someone else, Jesus' instructions are clear. You are to show mercy and forgiveness. Sixth step is purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Psalm 24.3, David says, and he asks this question, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place, knowing that God is perfect? And David answers in the next verse, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. James, in his letter, chapter 1, verse 27, says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, keeping ourselves pure. Peter also says in 2 Peter 3.14, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, he's referring to the new heaven and the new earth, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. Paul's final thoughts to the people at Philippi in his letter to that church sums up one of the best ways to keep ourselves pure. Finally, brothers, he says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned from me or seen in me, Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Think about such things. That rules a lot of the television shows out and about 99% of the nightly news and most of the games on the iPad that I see my grandchildren playing which promote violence and impurity and arguments and all that sort of rubbish. Paul is saying, surround yourself with positive people, positive ideas, and positive, helpful, and encouraging conversations. In those instructions, there is definitely no room for gossip, idle and damaging conversations, grudges and hate, or a game where you grab a chainsaw and cut other people's heads off. The world's outlook is negative because there is no hope. There's no trust and there's little love between individuals, tribes and nations. Jesus was approached by a rich young man. Being rich, the outcome of this story is not going to be going well. Essentially, the rich young man thought he was pure. He asked, teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? He's heading in the right direction. And Jesus answers him by saying, keep all the commandments. And he amazingly says, I've kept them all. What an exceptional young man. Other people must have looked upon him as pure. He certainly thought he was. Paul also thought he was. And this young man asks Jesus, what else must I do? And Jesus cuts to the real issue. 
If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus knew his love of wealth here on earth, surpassed his desire for heavenly treasures. And he had a problem with the tangible versus the spiritual. Trying to be pure in this age is a huge hurdle. And the devil and this world will throw every temptation at us to break our resolve to be pure and blameless and holy. Satan even tried it three times on Jesus, offering all the riches and power the world could give. And Jesus said no. We need to say no to any temptation. Earthly possessions, Jesus says rust and moths will destroy them anyway. They'll all end up as dirt. The seventh step is peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, verse 9 says, for they will be called the sons of God. Proverbs 12.20 There is deceit in the hearts of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. Romans 14 verse 19 says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. If we are called to be followers of Jesus, we are called to be like him. Being peacemakers involves being willing to reconcile, to make the first move towards an adversary and not to stand on our rights. God made the first move towards us, his enemies, to reconcile us to himself. Paul says in Romans 12:18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, to sow peace in a world full of turmoil, ambition and strife. We don't see that more so than right now. You may not be a Gandhi, you may not be a Nelson Mandela, but how about bringing peace to a friend by introducing them to Jesus? The eighth step is suffering for Christ. Verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is warning his disciples here, the eighth step certainly comes if you take the first seven. Jesus knows that rejection will come just after popularity. This world is so fickle and a lot of what we are motivated by and strive for is popularity-based. Fashion, fame, riches, circle of friends. Peer pressure is immense. Popularity was what the devil tried to tempt Jesus with. Basically took him up to the top of the temple and he said, show off Jesus and you'll get a great following. It's an old saying, even a dead dog can swim with the tide. Strange saying, but in other words, it doesn't take any effort to follow fashion doesn't take any effort to swim or just to lie there dead with the tide. Whether it's clothes or radical anti-social ideas like same-sex marriage, you have to be strong and alive to swim against the tide of thought that ignores God and Jesus' teaching. If you are swimming against the tide of worldly opinion, you will face persecution. But don't we preach that Jesus died for us on the cross and he's done it all and there's nothing we can do to earn a place in heaven? 
The answer is you need to take steps one and two of the Beatitudes. Humility, a recognition of our wretchedness before God, and penitence, a need to seek forgiveness for our rebellion against God. Only then can God grant full forgiveness and issue a passport to eternal life. But what about the other six steps? We have to learn to walk again. And watching our youngest granddaughter learn to walk and one unsteady foot against the other while holding onto the lounge. And we have to walk like that, unsteady step by unsteady step, and following the example that Jesus lived. Because Jesus said, I am the way. I have lived the truth, and I offer life, everlasting life. And do we really get how incredible that offer is? In response, God requires us to grow spiritually, to have the pages of our passport into heaven endorsed by God. This heavenly passport doesn't need a photo. God looks on the heart. He knows us, even the numbers of hairs on our head, we are told. He knows everything about you and me. And despite that, he offers you and me a place in heaven. Our salvation and hope for heaven are rooted firmly in the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Steps 3 to 8 which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's grace will produce positive, tangible changes in our lives. Even when our attempts result in failure, we are to keep trying and trusting. Wouldn't it be great if we were all diamonds, perfect facets, shining out God's love? That's what Jesus sat down with his disciples to teach them so that they could spread his news around the world. And in the end, the closer we come to Jesus' standard in our life, the more we will experience the blessing of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, implant these truths and teach us to see that this is the person you need us to be. Help us live out in our lives every day the words of your Son, and follow his way. Amen.